Okay. Well, welcome everyone. Rhonda Dillingham, Executive Director of the North Carolina Association for Public Charter Schools. And I thank you so much for being on the call today. We have, I don't know, is this our fifth or sixth weekly call? I'm not even sure. We've been doing this ever since the school closure came down back in March. And uh, this has been an opportunity for school leaders to get together in a safe place to share their open and honest communication about the questions they have, the challenges they're facing, and the victories that they've enjoyed. So uh, I have really enjoyed being a part of the call every week and have learned so much and been inspired by our school leaders across the state. Um, today, we're supposed to have on the call with us Representative Horn and Representative Clemens, uh, and I know that they have gotten the new link and hopefully will be able to join us if they haven't already. But we are recording. We're back hey. here. Hey, Representative Horn, how are you? Doing well. I hope you all are as also. Oh, thank you so You're much. So Sorry about the technological hiccup there, but oh, yes. uh, it yes. seems like we're all dealing it on and getting used to these uh, changes, and I'm right there with everyone. So, um, Clemens has also joined us. Oh, great. Uh, well, welcome. We're so glad to have both of you on the call today. Um, so I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Tom Miller and Katie Ridenauer of Leaders Building Leaders. They have been a great partner for us through, you know, lots of people across the state have worked with them and um, learned so much from them. And they have been gracious enough today to allow us to shift gears just a little bit. But, um, you know, I wanted to share something that I found that I thought everybody could relate to. And it's a famous quotation by Winston Churchill. He said that difficulties mastered are opportunities won. And I think that is really relevant at this time because uh, we are definitely facing difficulties. But as I have seen from so many charter school leaders across the state, they're taking this opportunity to uh, turn adversity into a victory. And um, we know that Representative Horn and Representative Clemens are really involved in the needs of their citizens across the state and want to hear, active, they want to hear from us from the field what our challenges are and how we have faced this this uh, crisis that we've all been a part of. So Representative Horn and Representative Clemens, welcome, welcome once again. And I just thought I'd like to give you an opportunity to unmute yourselves and say a little bit about what you're doing. We know that you are co-chairs with Representative Fraley uh, on the uh, House Select Committee on COVID-19 Education Working Group. I wanted to hear a little bit from you, if you don't mind sharing, to tell us what kind of um, work you've done so far and uh, anything that you think would be important for the group to hear. Well, first of all, thank you very much for allowing us to uh, pop in on you today. We are in the midst of unprecedented times, particularly in education, and the challenges are 
manifest, putting it mildly. Uh, we have been working nonstop, I will tell you, since about the 10th or 12th of March. And when I say nonstop, I mean seven days a week, 10, 12 hours a day, not unlike you all as you try to deliver a quality education to kids that in a new environment. We are meeting today, in fact, in just a little over half an hour, our, uh, we will have the third meeting of our House Select Committee on COVID-19. We, that is Representative Clemens and I, along with Representative Fraley, chair the education work group for the House Select Committee on COVID-19. On our first meeting, we went through uh, the challenges in K-12 education. Our second meeting, we went through the challenges in higher education and community colleges. And today, we will go through, uh, we'll go back through those challenges and propose some remediation, some answers to the challenges. I say propose, we're not putting a bill in front of the committee at this point, but we want, we, we want to express to the committee what we have learned, what our recommendations are based on the homework we've done, and get feedback from the committee as well as from the general public. There are portals uh, set up so that anyone can express what's on their mind. Uh, we ask you to either participate in the portal or to, in fact, email, phone call, text us directly. We need to know what the challenges are that you face on a daily basis. I want to particularly commend Representative Clemens. Uh, she is a, a freshman legislator, a former principal, a mom with, with twins and, a, and an older daughter. Uh, when I say older, that's eight, that's older. <laughs> uh, she has really done yeoman work and, and helped us understand the challenges at that level where the, we say the rubber meets the road, the challenges specifically with the kids, as well as help us create some balance in uh, the administration, dealing with administration and such things as unfunded mandates and micromanagement by Raleigh, which none of us support. We think that we feel it's our job to create policy. It's your job to educate kids. So we look forward to this opportunity. We thank you all very much for what you're doing. This is tough. This is really tough. There are lots of challenges. The challenges from the students who are trying to keep up and challenges from the teachers who are trying to provide uh, remote instruction and challenges in running an organization, keeping people together and motivated and upbeat. And in the final analysis, we recognize our fundamental requirement to deliver sound basic education to every child. So with that, I'm sure Representative Clemens can be much more eloquent than I've been, but I, I do greatly appreciate this opportunity. Thank you. Representative Clemens? Um, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for inviting Representative Horn and I to be part of your conversation. And um, thank you to Representative Horn, who has been uh, gracious and allowed me certainly to contribute to the conversation. Um, and to learn from his 10 years experience compared to my one. So we have 
um, had some interesting work together. A lot of what we've been immediately talking about are things that we heard from you all and other educational leaders across our state. Um, a lot of policies and procedures that you know just don't fit in the current environment so that's a lot of the work that we're doing and that was important work and we spent a lot of time in constant conversation with educators I think the work that we have ahead of us though is even more important and that's really um, understanding the impact of this current environment particularly on our children who are already um, below proficiency, uh, our children who have not been able to access learning in the way that we, some of our, my own children are, though I will say that that is um, inconsistent at best as we're all as parents trying to fit in our education of our children with everything else. Um, so I think as we start to look forward, how are we making sure that our system of public education understands the challenges that our children and the educators are facing and that we think creatively and um, as you said in the beginning use the current challenges as opportunities to get better at what we're doing uh, in our work to ensure each and every child in our state um, has an access for opportunity for success and um, as representative Horn said I was a teacher I taught kindergarten first and second grade and then I was a school principal at for eight years and then I worked in central office um, before joining the legislature and so I will just say that um, I know leading schools or leading systems of schools in this environment must be incredibly challenging and my hats off to all of you that are doing that work every day and we look forward to listening some, but as Senator Horn said, we spent a lot of time getting direct feedback. So, um, and I know you all have sent us some of your requests as well, but uh, any time you can feel free to us or Representative Fraley, who um, I'm sure would say. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we are recording this call and I encourage uh, anyone on the call, if you have a question, or comment the group um, <clears throat> or Representative Horn, Representative Clemens, feel free. feel free to type that in the chat box. And uh, even if you all need to jump off the call later on to get to your working group meeting, we'll uh, share all of this with you, the recording and the chat box comments and questions so that you can have that as a resource going forward. So at this time, I'd like to ask my friend Joy Warner from the community to share a little bit from her perspective about the challenges that she has faced in leading her school through the crisis and some of the um, questions, concerns, comments there, Joy. Joy, uh, you might need to unmute your yourself are you there can you hear me yes go ahead <laughs> forgive me i kept getting messages and it was covering my unmute button so um thank you all so much for taking time to host a a, a phone call and representative porn and Clemens, we are particularly appreciative that you all are taking time out of those 18 hour work days to sit with with educators remotely and um, the word of the day and listen to us so thank you from from someone who about children from many people who care deeply about children to you we thank you um, I just need to say one quick thing before I give you know um, 
my, my, my wishes. I, I want to say how incredibly proud I am of educators in North Carolina, charter school, public, and private school educators. I'm so proud to be an educator right now. I believe that people in our profession are stepping up and being, uh, trying to help carry the burdens of society right now. So I'm incredibly proud to be an educator right now. And I also would like to say to our um, civic leaders how proud I am of North Carolina for being fast in response um, in terms of sharing and saving lives and um, yeah, keeping kids at home. I, I am so proud of our state for being on the front end of all these very scary decisions at a scary time. So thank you all for leading during difficult times. Um, I've been, as a charter leader, I will say I've been particularly grateful right now in my world as an educator. Um, I know that charter school flexibility has definitely allowed our school and, and many others in the state to respond to this emergency quickly and efficiently and effectively, preserving education. Thank you for that educational flexibility that you give to charter schools. We, we are appreciative. I think our kids benefited from that. Um, I'm betting that um, my number one concern as an educator probably is a, a similar concern to yours right now. And that's really looking to the future and thinking about educational funding. Um, I know that you you all in the in the legislature and in in our state and the state board of ed have some difficult decisions ahead of you. Um, so the the one bit of thinking that I would add to the pool of understanding is that as a charter leader and as an, a North Carolina educator, I think this would be true for all public educators. Uh, flexibility and protecting the bottom line ADM funding would be our biggest priority. Um, we know that after this global pandemic, um, families are going to be in crisis. And when families are in crisis, children are in crisis. So when we come out of this on the other side, we'll need more resources, not less. But we know there's no magic money tree out there. So my hope uh, is that you all on your education committee, thank you for serving, and our State Board of Ed and our legislators will really pr protect um, flexibility, ADM bottom line, and really allow us to focus um, our efforts and our energy on protecting the essential human services that our kids need. So that would be my wish uh, in terms of a North Carolina charter educator. Thank you for listening. Thank you for that, Joy. Um, you expressed what I'm sure many people are concerned about right now. Uh, Representative Clemens and Representative Horn, one of the questions we have in the chat box has to do with um, the, the school year, whether or not it might be extended. Um, do you have any thoughts right now on the school calendar? The school calendar issue is undoubtedly the most difficult issue we're having to face because there, it impacts everyone at every level. And it's particularly difficult because we don't know when things will open up, uh, whether we'll be back in the classroom in May or whether we won't be back till later in the year or whether we'll be back at all. 
I mean, or anything you want to hear. Every opinion is out there. Everybody's got a prediction as to when we'll go back. But I can tell you that, generally speaking, uh, we know that people need a break. They need to get away. They go to the beach, go to the mountains, go to the amusement park. They need a break. And the school year is not something that that is a high priority for us insofar as 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 I just said that people break. So we're looking at next year. But while I say that, we're not ready to throw in the towel on this year. We believe that there are good things that can still happen for education this year. How do we help our teachers communicate and, and actually teach, teach, not just busy work, not just supplemental work, but teach remotely? How do we help kids learn online? And one of the keys there and one of the challenges we have is connectivity. A we're a very rural state. There's a lot of places with great amount of connectivity. And then once you get connectivity, we have to make sure that every student has a device. Well, how do we ensure that? And then while that's going on, of course, we want to be able to deliver quality education remotely. What does that actually mean? And we know there's a big difference between standing in front of a class, managing your class face-to-face, -face and, and then delivering education remotely. So I guess the, the shortest way to answer the question about calendar is, one, we've made no firm decisions. Two, we're not inclined to extend the school year. Three, we're looking seriously at, at how we can get a, a head start on next year. Uh, does that mean coming back early? Does that mean readjusting the, the teacher work days and calendar? What is that going to look like? What is it going to cost? Where's the money going to come from? How do we ensure that, that we're going to be able to deliver that sound basic education that we keep referring to? So I'm sorry that I can't say, well, here's what we're going to do, because we just don't yet know what we're going to do. Part of it's because we don't know when this, when this is going to play out, how it's going to play out. We are, as that old phrase goes, building the airplane while we fly it. Perhaps Representative Clemens can add a little more detail to that. No, I think Representative Horn answered it that um, there are a lot of unknowns still for what, when, and if we'll be able to be back with our students, which is, um, I'm sure, Joy, you would agree with this, but for educators, that's what we want most. There's, we can do all the great online instruction we want, but there's nothing like hugging your kids in the morning and then the afternoon when you send them off. So, um, you know, we still don't know when that's a possibility. We don't feel super optimistic about it being this year that we're not, for, you know, that's not been ultimately decided. Um, and so I think the other thing we know is the, the best way we can start to fill some of the gaps being created is to provide more time for teachers to do their magic with kids. And so as we look to 2020 and 2021, um, we will be trying to come up with some creative solutions. We would welcome any creative ideas you have. Certainly come to us. 
Um, and uh, the, the hard thing about that is extra time is a resource intensive uh, proposal. And so it takes a lot of money to provide extra time, especially when we're talking about, you know, 1.6 and or 7 million kids across our state. So we'll have to balance all of those things. But at its core, I think we know the most important thing is for teachers to be with kids. And um, any gaps that are going to be filled are going to take time. Um, but I think we certainly believe that's going to have to be in next school year, not this school year. Thank you, Representative Clemens and Representative Horn. Uh, we'll pay attention to your work and um, <clears throat> and hopefully we'll have an answer on that at, at some point. But as you said, you know, part of it has to do with how this current virus plays itself out. So we understand that. Um, I'd also like to call on uh, Joe Carraher, if Joe is on the call. Joe is the school leader at Cornerstone Charter in Greensboro. Hi, Joe. That's in your neck of the yeah, woods. Joe was one of my principal buddies when I was a principal. Hey, Ashley, yeah. how are you? Oh, I was wondering what happened. Look, look at your beard. Goodness yeah, gracious. I, just, I haven't oh. left the house in like a month, so it's just what happened. <laughs> Here, Craig's also keeping a COVID nineteen beard. He won't yeah. shave. We're done. I haven't showered in three weeks. It's great. <laughs> Keep that to yourself, Joe. Oh, is that uh, my unmuted now? <laughs> Go ahead. Um, no, I would just second what has already been said, which is that you know we're. I, I've got to be real honest. It's like at our school, the best thing that we've done to try to help our teachers and our families and everyone through it is just not to put a ton of pressure on the next two months. We recognize there's just very little that's going to get done of any significance um, because of just the situation we were thrust into and to really start talking about long term. And obviously, I'm really worried about the funding. Um, I would just say, speaking on behalf of charters, too, I think there's an additional concern with funding that is directly tied to hiring good teachers for us as well. And I think that that's, you know, obviously, that's a district concern as well. But you know, when you start talking about uh, funding that may impact all these other support systems that charters may need and some of the funding sources we already lack, it's going to get, that's ultimately going to impact what we can do salary rise and what we may be able to do to attract really good teachers into our schools. So um, I would just say that I really appreciate all the communication from the state. You know, it's at times overwhelming, but I feel like it's been good and that they provided a lot of communication. Um, what I will say on the other side of this, I hopefully you guys can take back to your committee is that, uh, one of the challenges I think, and one of the reasons there's a lot of communication is because some of the language is so infinitely vague. And, uh, I really hope that as you guys craft policy that you either give us the flexibility to do what we want or to craft policy that's really, um, that's clear and provides us some real guidance with it and doesn't require sort of, uh, just constant information on how to uh, how to understand it or how to interpret it. And, uh, you know, I think in particular with some of the grading stuff, I, I've got to be real honest. I just feel like of that, the state just wanted to sound good and kind of wash their hands of some of the really difficult decisions there. And so that was left in our hands and that's going to create some inequities across schools, particularly high schools. And, uh, so I think just some more clarity uh, on some of that stuff would be really helpful too. And, uh, but I think you guys are doing a great job in terms of communicating with us, probably better than 
I've ever experienced um, from the state, which has really been good to see. Um, and I think you guys have done a good job in trying to make sure that those things that you're doing are getting out to people. Um, but so keep up, keep up the good work, hang in there, and uh, hopefully you can find us a big pot of money. There is a money tree, and I believe that the government hides us from it every year. They just shift it around and move it, and they don't tell anyone where it is. Behind it. <laughs> yes, yes. It's it's the great secret of government are all the money trees in Raleigh. I haven't seen one yet, but if I ever run across it. They're good. Say, They're real good. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much, Joe. Uh, yeah, you've expressed things that I'm sure we all have in common. And, you know, that's one of the important things that we've talked about on this call before is um, it, the importance of giving clear directions and to eliminate the ambiguities. That's really important. Katie, do you have a question or a comment you'd like to throw in there for, um, for sure, everyone? Yeah. So I'm just on that line here. We have some great questions. So keep putting them in there, guys, and I'm maintaining a list. Uh, so we had a question about testing. Uh, with and, and I, Maybe it's more of a hope. Um, we hope that end-of-year testing can be eliminated and that school report cards can be eliminated for this year to account for these unique times. You know, so, um, you know, can anybody speak to that? Yeah, our committee actually discussed this last week, and we have draft legislation about this this week today and in, in 20 minutes in committee. Um, and so our proposal it, uh, has been made in conjunction working with leaders across the state, but we are recommending uh, statewide waivers for end-of-grade testing, waivers for school report cards, um, Read to achieve was something else that she mentioned in her message. Uh, so, um, waiving read to achieve this year, uh, the diagnostic assessment and the reading camps. Um, and so, I think all of the things that she asked about, um, we have plans to waive um, for the 1920 school year, and you know, won't won't have those card school letter grades and those kinds of things. Okay. Um, and then Keisha later on said something else that is another thing that we've heard about your will affect next mm -hmm. year's testing as well and so that's actually something that came up in a conversation we were having um, with the state superintendents um, council and their representation uh, and so I think our task as a work group has been very much emergency response for what's in front of us right now but we are talking about what does it look like to have a similar um, so I'm a Democrat and Chris a Republican we have like this bipartisan focused work group so we're talking about what does that look like as we look at some of the bigger issues that start to come for next school year so I think our committee will be proposing a similar structure of some sort, a work group of some sort to ask those questions. And I think next year is, is an example of something we will have to look at both as once we see impact of testing of uh, this time out on our kids, but also if there is a resurgence or we have to take a break in next school year, um, it'll be something else that we're looking at. I don't know. No, I think you covered it quite well. All right. Well, thank you so much for that. Um, there is a brand new first year school in Montgomery County. It's the first and only charter school in Montgomery County. And if you're on the call, Teresa, are you on the call? I am here. All right. 
So I thought you might be interested in hearing from uh, the school leader of a tiny little school this year, very uh, pro probably zero fund balance <laughs> most of the time. Uh, and the, Teresa has led that school in responding to the situation. Of Teresa. course. Thanks, Rhonda, for inviting me on. And to Ashton and Craig, our representatives, this is just a great call to be on. So like she said, we are in a very rural area. We're the only school in the county, the charter school in the county. Um, and it's been a crazy year. It's my first year leading. And just to piggyback what everyone said with the funding, I think having like the ADM funding solidified would be key for us. We will basically go into next year with a zero fund balance, which will hurt us. We've lost a lot of opportunities to continue fundraising for this year, which we were kind of relying on. Um, I think we may lose some families due to like jobs that they're losing. So that would hurt us. So anything that we can have solid as in terms of finances would be greatly appreciate school and for everybody else's. Um, just going off what everyone said, the funding, just the policies in place. We may have to cut some funding due to this and a lot of that would come from transportation. So less kids would have opportunities to get to our school. Um, hiring, you know, we're in the process of hiring and like he said, we wanna get our good teachers in here but we're not sure what that's gonna look like with these budget cuts, whatever those like. Um, employee pay cuts. We've had to take some pay cuts to readjust our, our budget this year. Or if we're going to get those back, um, possibly smaller raises for teachers. I mean, they're obviously going above and beyond what everyone is doing and how everybody's working. Um, I say all the time, like you're not going to work outwork these teachers in the state. They're just really doing what they need to do. So we've had to accrue some extra costs with this COVID, with like packet mailings, checking out laptops for our kids. So. Um, our hope is to just have some solid funding, especially like she said, with the protecting the ADM funding so we can move forward and continue to do these great things that we're doing in this tiny little county in the school um, in Visco. So um, we're here. So. Well, thank you. Well, I'll address very briefly on the funding side, of course, is an appropriations issue. And we're, we're, um, we're trying to sort out what money's coming from the feds and what can be how that can be applied so therefore what money needs to be needs to come from the state we all know we all should know that the outlook on income for the state is i don't want to say dismal but i'm going to say dismal there nobody's no taxes are being paid nobody's getting has an income no one's out buying new things and paying sales taxes so it's it's a proposition. Now, fortunately, we went into this in pretty good financial shape, much better than most other states. But it doesn't take long in a state this this size, as you know, we're the ninth largest state in the union, 10 million plus people. Take long to chew up a lot of money, a lot of money. We're not looking, frankly, it is not our plan at this point at all to be cutting funding for education in any way. We're trying to find money to add to education. If we're going to add school days, if, if we can, that we realize that costs more money, not less money. We're not going to go out cutting salaries and iron people. We need as many, as much help as we can get for our kids 
who are suffering not only educationally, not only academically, but socially, socially and emotionally. So I think you can be fairly confident, as confident as we can be in events going on right now, that, that there's no, no funding cuts in the imminent, uh, at least, and no fun, funding cuts in the foreseeable future. But we are have to tighten our belt because costs will probably go up in some way. Part of it's because we're going to be less competition. Some of the folks that were less goods and services are out of business, and they won't be back. So we're going to have to figure that part out. It's a, it's a horrific challenge. It's the one that keeps us up at night. How do we pay for all of these things that we're going to need to do? Because we're going to need some additional, you're going to need additional support. And I, and I say you, you on behalf of the kids you serve are going to need additional support. So those, uh, I, think, I think we can be uh, somewhat secure in our funding, but uh, it's a moving target. I don't want anyone to, I was, a, I was concerned for a while. Everybody saw all that money that we had been able to save and put on the bottom line. Oh boy, we're in fat city. No, we're not. Uh, we could be looking at a multi-billion dollar shortfall next year. Multi-billion, not million, billion dollar shortfall. What, how much can we depend on the federal government to do what? How, what kind of strings will come with that? And what are the long-term impacts? Those are, are things that are playing out virtually on a daily basis. I can tell you that the three of us uh, are in contact with our uh, congressional delegations in uh, both House and Senate in Congress, lobbying for not only more money, but fewer strings so that we can apply the money where it's needed. And that's where we need to hear from you is where is it needed most? We're going to all be making some difficult choices. Uh, we're going to be faced with challenges we never dreamed would be our challenges. We're going to have to decide, okay, we'll, we can do this one, but we can't do that one. Well, what are those choices and how are we to make them? And the best answer to that is we make that the choices are difficult and we make them together. And I'll just add, it's the, um, just like you're doing now, it's the reason those of us who are fighting for our kids will need to keep raising their voices about the importance of that being a priority. Not to Craig, John, and Ashton, because you can assure, be assured that we are fighting for that, but just as the process continues on, that we as the total system of education is, are, continue to really advocate for our kids. We thank you so much for that. We, we know it, it will be difficult to make these decisions. One of the comments that I've seen in the chat box and I've heard other school leaders mention is the um, SRO grant and the school safety equipment grant. Um, you know, we've gone through years now of horrible school shootings and violence in schools that have happened in other places and we want to make sure that if our students are back in the brick and mortar that they are as safe as they possibly can be so just wanted to um you know let you know that that is a concern uh in the minds of the um <clears throat> the school leaders in our state um andrew Masseri from pine lake prep are you on the call I am, yes. <clears throat> All right. 
You want to, uh, Andrew and I talked a little bit earlier this week and he was sharing with me um, an additional cost that the school incurred as a result of the crisis. I thought it might be good for you all to hear from Andrew a little bit. Andrew? Sure. Well, when we had talked earlier, we were just talking about the elephant in the room and that's funding. Uh, and Joy mentioned it earlier. Uh, right now, really the best case scenario for us is a flat budget and retaining some of those support grants, things like the mental health great, uh, health grants, the SRO grants. Um, there was a lot of federal dollars and a lot of news related to federal dollars getting tossed around lately, but I do worry that charter schools are going to get left out of some of those. Uh, there was also dialogue and discussion at the State Board of Education meeting today about schools that aren't receiving Title I funds have the potential to get left out of a lot of the new federal grants that are coming down the pipeline. And so we're just worried about finances and our ability to meet our books and meet our numbers without having to do drastic cuts to things like staff or things like salaries. Uh, we were looking at the Paycheck Protection program but at the same time we're trying to weigh the morality of what are our needs and the charter school needs compared to those of the needs in the community and the small businesses and the restaurant needs so it's just a lot of concern related to finances and how long will we have to wait until we really know what finances will look like um, is a may 1st date realistic is a june 1st date realistic just some sort of assurance that um, we can build a budget with some sense of reliability um, even if it's uh, Alexis Schaust mentioned, it could be as uh, big as a 3%, but as low as a 0%. But then at the same time, we heard conversations out of the General Assembly about potentially 6 to 10% cuts. So just struggling with how to start to build a budget for next year and how to start to create direction for next year. Thank you for that, Andrew. I appreciate that so much. Um, you know, Alex Quigley, I, I think you're on the call. Uh, I'm calling you. <laughs> I didn't give you any kind of warning ahead of time, but I know that you and I share the concern of the digital divide as, uh, as well as many educators do. And I know that that has been an issue for you that you faced at Healthy Start. Uh, Al Alex, you wanna, are you available to talk a little bit about the digital divide and your concerns there? I saw him earlier. I don't see his no. name now. Didn't have my turn it on. Um, there you go. Let's see here. You're Can on. you hear me? Yes. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I think that you know we we faced a mountain of challenges serving a predominantly low income student population and. Um, really have i think it is in you know there's some real upside to this i think and i would encourage charter schools to really um you know frankly look at the look at the the upside and from a perspective of this is an opportunity when uh we uh, i think of charter schools as speedboats compared to you know cruise ships with districts being the the cruise ships and us being the speedboats we have um you know, we have the, the capacity to make, to move quickly um, in what is truly uncharted waters. And I think where you have districts just, it's hard for them to mobilize and serve so many students at scale. And, and I think 
you know, I've been very impressed with what so many districts have done. And I've, I am frankly not envious of, of the scale of the challenges that they have faced. Uh, so one, I, I just would encourage everyone to, to really take advantage of the opportunity to communicate really clearly with your parents um, and to uh, respond quickly to, to things as they're changing, because I think that is something that, that we can do uh, that, that we can do in many ways more effectively than other uh, than, than certainly large districts. And I think as part of what I hope to be some of the innovation and the thinking as we think about, you know, the, the disruption that this is causing and the long time in long term impacts, both both negative and positive. But I think there are a lot of uh, positive disruptions that can come out of this. I even from my own experience, I think if you had told me I was going to be able to have a Zoom call with over 100 of my families, many of the majority who, have, who don't even speak English. And, you know, prior to this, I, I, I don't think we even had their email or, or they didn't, didn't have an email. Um, and, and, you know, if you had told me that three weeks ago, I would have told you you're out of your mind. And, and yet, you know, that happened on Monday night. Um, and I think, so I think there is a lot of opportunity for us to, to, to really cross um, into new territory that we otherwise would not do that, uh, would not be able to. I think that the on the digital divide, I think that is a very, very real challenge. And the barriers that students who who are in homes, and, you know, I think a lot of our families at, in, here in Durham, we have parents who serve in the, they're not doctors, but they're cleaning the hospitals. They're doing things that require their, them to be out of the house and uh, in uh, certainly working and they in either one because they're they're required to as essential workers or two they're just living at, in a position where they can't afford not to work and they're going to do anything uh, possible and so their their children are left uh, with relatives they're left with their older siblings we have a lot work we've done a lot of coaching of older siblings on how to help their younger siblings make sure that they're on our lives are remote learning. Uh, but it is a very different reality. I think that many of the students that attend uh, our schools are, are facing rather than based on their income level and their parents' job status. And, and I, don't, I don't have easy solutions or ideas on, on how to fix that. I think it's, it's really challenging. And I, but I think that any, anything that we decide in policy, anything we um, think about moving forward needs to take that into consideration. And I would certainly like to see, um, I think long-term the, the state, we need to think about how do we, how do we make uh, basically access to the internet, the same type of equity issue as, you know, for example, transportation or free lunch. Because in many ways, right now, your ability to access the internet is equivalently uh, critical to your ability to access a quality education. That's, that's true. Your point very well made. Uh, uh, in fact, is I'm going to steal that line if you don't mind. I like it a lot. Unfortunately, Representative Clemens and I are going to have to get off. Uh, we have a committee meeting starting in just a few moments. And it takes a couple of minutes to prepare and uh, so that we start on time because it's open to everyone across the state. 
We do hope that you will share all of your questions with us so that we can provide good feedback, uh, as pointed feedback as possible, as detailed as possible. We look forward to another opportunity, perhaps a little more time to, to engage with you all in a conversation, not just um, uh, bullet points, but, but actually a conversation uh, as we have with others across the state to, to identify both challenges and solutions. So uh, thank you very much. Uh, I'm going to sign off and uh, Representative Clemens, I'm sure, will be right behind me. So again, thank you all very much. Thank you, Representative Horn and Representative Clemens. We're going to stay on the call, uh, everybody, for a, a little bit because I wanted to uh, just have a few loose ends tied up here. And again, the call is being recorded and we will share this entire conversation with uh, the representatives. Once Thanks, everybody. I'm going to sign off. Thank you for having us. Thank everybody so take much. care. You too. Thank you for your work. And hey, Rhonda, you had called on me earlier to answer a question specific to some of the funding and some of the expenses. And one thing I'd like to recognize that this is being recorded and that we're going to share it with the legislators uh, and the representatives is that schools are not saving money right now. And I think there's the perception that schools are saving money right now. I heard it on a call last week. And while we are um, undoubtedly saving money in some regards, we're also undoubtedly spending significantly more dollars in other regards. Technology to execute the e-learning, dedicated servers to make sure that we can access um, the internet speeds that we need to. Uh, we're cut off from a lot of revenue streams. Someone mentioned earlier fundraising, a major revenue stream. Any spring fundraisers that are traditionally executed are all, in, for lack of better words, cut off. And so I would just like to put out the perception that and if we could have a collective voice around schools are not saving money right now. Uh, our buses, our bus drivers, um, meals, we're still spending money in a lot of regards. And so uh, if we could help break down those barriers and communicate that effectively to our representatives, I think that would be a point well taken. Yeah, that, that's a great point, Andrew. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, We've done a good job on these calls throughout the last few weeks of um, discussing the challenges and the issues that we've faced and brainstorming and collaborating on that. Uh, I've been so proud of everyone. I'm, and like Joy said earlier, I've never been more proud than I am now of being part of a group of educators. And um, I still consider myself an educator, even though I don't teach in the classroom every day now. Um, but I, we also want to focus on the positives and the good news too, because that's, that is the big part of the picture. And as Alex was saying earlier, a lot of charter schools have been able to pivot quickly and respond to the situation because of the flexibility and the autonomy that we are afforded by the legislature. So I wanted to just talk a little bit about how some schools have been able to address students' needs. Uh, they've been able to overcome the barriers of distance learning and, um, and just kept connected with their staff, students, and families. I wondered if I could get uh, Dr. Charles Fuller from Env Envision Science Academy to share a little bit about their distance learning plan and how they've been able to respond to the needs of their school community. Uh, thank you, Rhonda. And, and I just want to say thank you for hosting this. It was a, a great opportunity 
um, hearing what representatives uh, Horn and Clemens had to say. And, and the questions that uh, you guys asked to them were, were great. And the concerns that you brought forth, uh, you know, all of you guys, that, that was just absolutely wonderful and just spot on. Um, so I just want to thank you for uh, hosting this opportunity, Rhonda. But, um, but yeah, um, I mean, our distance learning plan, uh, we shared it. Many of you may have seen it. Um, we shared it out there for everyone to see early on um, because we just wanted to say, okay, this is what we're doing or what we're planning on doing. And if anyone wants to look at it, copy it, use any piece of it, all of it, none of it, whatever you want it to do, this is what we're doing. And uh, and hopefully some folks were able to uh, look at that and um, and use some of it, even if it was just say, well, we don't want to do it that way. Um, you know, you learn a lot from looking at what someone else is doing, even if it's to just simply find out that we're going to do it differently. You still learn something. Um, but we have what's primarily an asynchronous model uh, where our teachers are recording lessons and, and sending lessons out through Google Classroom and Seesaw. And that's working very well for us. Uh, we chose an asynchronous model because we wanted our parents to be able to access this and our students to be able to access this pretty much at any time, as opposed to having to sit live through classrooms. That's that's wonderful, uh, obviously, but we just felt strongly that, that uh, there would be many of our students and many of our parents that wouldn't be able to facilitate a live uh, classroom setting in this current situation. Uh, so that's the direction we went. And it's so far has worked extremely well. We are providing synchronous opportunities uh, where teachers are having office hours uh, and students can engage in live um, uh, remediation sessions and, and tutoring sessions uh, with not only our teachers, but we also have set up what we're calling a, a, a tutoring program or our, our tutoring team, uh, which includes our teacher assistants, our receptionist who happens to be a former uh, teacher, and our curriculum coordinator, our, even our school nurse are helping out in providing tutoring, in providing uh, assistance with students on how to post things, how to access things. Um, and our students were, were fairly uh, techn technologically savvy to begin with. We use technology practically every day in, um, in so many of our classrooms. Uh, and we were very fortunate that uh, so many of our students were already equipped with devices. We did pass out probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 Chromebooks, uh, in addition to um, about 170 Chromebooks that were already in the hands of students on a permanent basis. We provided hotspots uh, to students who had connectivity issues, uh, whether they had no connectivity or whether their uh, speed was so uh, insufficient to, to not um, be able to facilitate learning very well, or they were on a, uh, a very limited plan where um, maybe they were paying by data by the gig as they went kind of thing. So we passed out uh, hotspots to them. Uh, and it's just working very well. Um, our, it has really brought our school 
staff closer as, as strange as it may seem, simply because uh, we are having to all work so closely together on, on an everyday basis. And I'm sure many of you have found uh, the same thing uh, to be true. Uh, and Erica Prentice, uh, who is our lower school dean, is also on the call. And uh, Erica, anything you want to add there? You did a great job, Dr. Floyd. Uh, the only thing that, and I know it's been in the um, the chat and mentioned over and over, but um, mental health services, we did receive a grant two years ago, I believe, Dr. Fuller, for our school social worker. Um, and then he became such a vital um, member of our team that uh, we use school funds since it wasn't renewed, um, that funding stream or the, the grant wasn't renewed last year. Um, and we have funded and, and kept him on board in between um, him and our school uh, counselor, they have been essential, just vital um, in creating a resource guide so that um, families who, um, you know, need community resources uh, are able to access that immediately um, in terms of leading food collection and distribution services, um, uh, providing resources and lessons integrated into our curriculum for socio-emotional learning, um, you know, guides for parents on how to discuss these things with their kids and, and to broach those subjects, um, you know, crisis um, um, availability and hotline. So, you know, that to me has been um, just absolutely vital and it came out of out of a grant. Um, so if we can see more of those mental health supports um, and services uh, and funding to support that those personnel, you know, those who are trained um, to to fulfill those roles, I think it's going to be needed um, now more than ever. So that they have been absolutely essential um, in our student support. That's that's a great point. Uh, sometimes we've spent as much or more time talking parents off the ledge as we have talking students off the ledge. Absolutely. Their anxiety with um, uh, getting their schoolwork done through this uh, through this very difficult time. Right. Well, we talk about educating the whole child, meeting the needs of the whole child, and uh, we can't um, overlook the importance of the social emotional support that students need. That's really important, even more important now than it ever has been. So thank you, Dr. Fuller and Erica. Ron, if I could add one more thing, it would be that uh, we really haven't set back and been in a review mode almost from the very beginning, we were determined to try to push our students forward into learning new material. Um, you know, if we just felt like that if we were able to jump on it quickly, and, and we were, fortunately, that we would not have to spend a lot of time reviewing, that we could incorporate any review into instruction of new material. So we feel like that we've done a pretty good job of continuing to provide instruction and to move students forward. Granted, not at the same pace as we could if we were sitting in school face to face, but still, we, we don't feel like we have set back and, and, um, and, and just simply reviewed. Now, again, we're fortunate in our connect connectivity issues and our device issues, but still, we've been pushing forward. And uh, I think that has helped tremendously with our engagement as well. Well, thank you for adding that. And again, thank you, Erica and Dr. Fuller for that. Um, Kelly Painter, are you still on the call? Yes, I am. All right. Well, Kelly, I wanted you to take the opportunity to talk a little bit about 
how you were recently able to kind of serendipitously um, collaborate with a, your district school right across the street. Can you just uh, share that little anecdote with us real quickly, please? Sure. Um, our school is right across the street from a Title I elementary school in CMS. And a lot of our students that go to Bradford live in the neighborhood. So they went to that school prior to coming to Bradford. Um, and we've communicated really well with that school in the past, not only about um, students that come here from that school and making sure that we're continuing services or support for those students by talking to that school as their previous school, but also with things like school safety. Anytime there's a safety issue or a lockdown, the principal and I are in constant communication. So there already was a good relationship there, but we were very fortunate that a local grocery store contacted us and donated so much produce, it filled our, multi our multi-purpose room. And we were able to deliver fresh produce to the 37 families that we're delivering to on a weekly basis. Um, and we still had a lot of food left over. So actually Ace Academy, um, we called them and their um, family engagement coordinator came over and picked up food. And then the following day, we took the remainder of the produce, which was still a lot, over to Stony Creek because they are a CMS meal distribution center. So they were able to put together packets of um, bags of fresh produce to give to the families that came over there to pick up their meals for the day for their children. So it was a neat opportunity for us to obviously work together. And we feel very fortunate that we have a really good working relationship with that school. Um, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of negative feelings because they're district and we're charter. So it was a neat moment. That's great. Yeah, the, um, you know, one of the questions I get asked often by legislators is how are your charter schools collaborating with district schools? And, um, you know, even in these times, Kelly and her team have been able to find a way to do that. And uh, it's, it's really important that we just consider that we're educating every child in the state is a student. And we, um, you know, we need to make sure we meet their needs the best way we can, we can. And you did that, Kelly. So thank you so much. I wonder if there might be any final uh, comments or questions that anybody might want to contribute to today's call. We have gone over, um, it's 210, but we started a little bit later because of the technology issue. So uh, any final comments? thoughts, questions, ideas anyone might want to share? Yeah, I'll share, Rhonda, if that's okay. This is Tom Thank Miller. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Hey, so I got a great message last night from one of the leaders. Um, it was at a Piedmont community, and they were on the call that we, that we started this on March 14th, I believe. It was a Saturday, and we had just a random call, and we just said, hey, start to think about this. And then within 48 hours, we went from start to think about this to school was closed for two weeks to you can't go back to your school till May 15th. So, you know, I put in the chat box here, I honestly think you should start as contingency planning as much as possible. I think that you need to be prepared to not going back in your buildings this year. I think you need to start focus on getting your budget and your hiring and all those pieces done. Uh, and then you need to be budgeting for 10 to 15 percent of less maybe what you got. And that's just what I think. Um, we were, you know, ahead of this at the start. And, and I really want you guys to keep thinking ahead, be microscopic on what you're doing now. 
but be telescopic of what's coming down the road because we don't know. And, you know, we can't wait for the government to uh, tell us. I know we have rules to abide by and things like that, but you just got to do your best. You can't wait for them to say it's okay to do X, Y, Z. Make the plan first and then let it fit, you know, after it comes. We were built for this. As uh, I, I think Alex called a speedboat. So I'll say bass boat. Deborah Brown said a sailboat. I don't care what you are. You were built to lead and you were built for this moment. Uh, so start to really think through that. There's some resources in here to help you think through. There's, there was 74 people on this call today who are willing to help you and to collaborate and to think through what that may look like uh, for the next year. And Andrew makes great points. You're not going to have the funding to get uh, Chromebooks in the hand of everybody. So what, so what could you do now to make sure that you don't have to worry about that come August 15th? So uh, that's what I'll end with. I think you're all doing an incredible job. Um, but you know you're gonna you know take take this good intention and move it into intentional action now, uh, and don't wait another you know 15 to 30 days to start that planning. Yeah, your heads are down. You're moving in survival mode, but it is important to think into the future. It is it will be really important because you know uh, that time is coming whether whether we like it or not. Any other uh, comments from the participants? All right, well, I'd like to say a couple of things. One, thank you to everyone for being on the call today and especially to my partners, Tom and Katie. I don't know what I would do without you because um, <laughs> you are just my, my great friends and I appreciate you so much. Um, oh. Go ahead. I just have to stop you, and then I can just. I wanted to share that the association has put together a planning task force of uh, interested school leaders who responded to the call of, uh, and these these are going to get together and just talk about what might next year might look like and how we can plan for the future as Tom was uh, saying earlier. So just wanted to share that with you, more information to come from them. And then also I sent out um, a, a survey about our conference. Uh, we're still making, trying to make a decision about the conference that is supposed to occur July 19th through the 21st, and I really, really need your feedback on that. So if you haven't had a chance to respond to the survey, please just take a minute. It's only two questions, uh, and it won't take but just you know, 10 seconds of your time. Um, again, thank you everyone for being on the call, and if I can be of service, you call me or email me. I'm there for you. I work for you. And um, have a great day, everyone. And we'll talk to you next Thursday at 1 o'clock. I've unmuted everybody. So if you want to say goodbye to your charter school friends, please do so now. Thank you. Bye, everybody. everybody. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank Thanks, Rhonda. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Katie. Thank you. Thank you.